That's a clown question, bro. Hey, what's up on you? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen from home, both of us from home, uh, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing all right. It's the off season now, um, so that's obviously not fun. Today is November 3rd, 2020. It's, uh, you know, just a regular old day in America. Nothing too special happening today. I don't think, I don't think you know of anything uh going on today uh yeah i mean a big a big day for america free agency just started and uh yeah that's it that's the big news of the day yeah free agency i can't think started. of anything else that could possibly top it um yeah i mean you got sort of the anniversary of the cubs winning cubs the world, world series yeah. um it's because like it anniversary did, because it went past win, midnight they won past midnight mm-hmm. so there's that i mean that's it yeah that's a huge deal. And that is why November 3rd was on everyone's calendars this year. You know, everyone's yeah. wanted to remember the four-year anniversary, the big the big four of the Chicago Cubs breaking the curse. Yeah, it's huge. It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and also the the um, BBWAA finalist for awards just mm-hmm. came out. So Yeah, and we will be um, talking about that on our next show. Yeah, so that was that was huge for the American public um this this week um big time big time you know a a lot of people are saying like hey are are the uh are the bbwaa ballots going to be uh plausible you know mail-in mail-in bbwaa voting you know some people are saying it has a good record some say it's a bad record you know are we going to be able to trust the results of these awards? And, you know, there's that big controversy over the election. Of course, the uh, today's game era committee election, the Hall of Fame opted not to do this year because of COVID. They canceled the December Hall of Fame election. So that was obviously uh, the big thing that everyone was, was looking at. Of course, you have the regular BBWAA Hall of Fame election. Uh, that season is just about almost underway. We always talk about it at the start of the offseason. Uh, so, yeah, some big election news. For the future, but uh, not so much today exactly for America. Yeah, and people people were talking about it like, can you push back an election? Apparently so. Yeah. Apparently you can just push back the election whenever you want. I guess yeah. whatever. Yep. Um. So yeah, that's why that's why this week is a big week for the American public. Uh, we're happy to be talking to you about baseball that just ended. We uh we uh have not yet talked about. <laughs> The World Series and the World Series. A lot, a lot has happened since the World Series. Uh, to be fair, our college uh, shut down. We had to, we all had to go home, and we didn't have to go home, but we did go home. Yeah, it was basically really it was basically like live in isolation on campus or be yeah. free at home. Which, uh, yeah, I, I, tough choice. We, yeah, not a not a real not a, not much thinking had to go into, no. into that one. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I think we all knew within like 20 minutes of when we found out what was going on. We were like, well, I guess this is it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that's where that's where we stand. So we're going to be in the same location recording for the next 10 weeks about, Mm -hmm. which will be fun. It'll be nice. You know what that means? That means history is coming back. We are going to start it next week. At the end of this show, we are going to pick the next player and team that we will be talking about. 
We made it halfway through the list in the offseason, and we have another 15 to go, and we couldn't be any more excited. Yeah. Uh, if uh, I guess if you're new to this, uh, we have a whole playlist. Um, we have a whole playlist on YouTube, uh, on the mm. YouTube channel with all the history episodes. And then, you know, it's not that far back. Episodes 31 through 45 are all history. One player and one team um, right. for uh, each week. And yeah, it's great. It's a it's a fun time for us. Um, it's a it's a nice production that we have. It's great, and that will be starting uh, not this week, but the it will be the either the either uh, the Wednesday after this or the Thursday after this. I'm not exactly sure when we'll record that. But it'll be mid next week. Mid next week. Yeah. And yeah, history will history is back earlier a little a little earlier than we expected. But we're happy about it. Yeah. I Yeah, very very much so. And, uh, yeah, I mean, do, do we want to talk about uh, game six to start? I mean, not really. That game wasn't very fun for me. But um, I guess we have to, right? <laughs> yeah, game six. It was just – it was sort of, like, relatively speaking, a little anticlimactic, if I'm being honest. I mean, you know, Chris, you and I – we don't hide it. We're stat nerds. We care about the analytics of baseball. We understand that they play an enormous role in today's game, and we're pretty fluent in speaking that sort of language because it really is. It's kind of what it is. It's like, you know, it's a different breed of baseball fan. You have your diehards. You have, you know, your, your old schoolers, and then you have us. We're just the nerds. We don't, we don't have lives. We just look at numbers all the time, and, you know, you have a decision that was made in game six that really seemed like it was something that our people stand for sort of, and mm -hmm. it led to a bit of an attack on us, I guess. Oh yeah. It was definitely a uh, kind of a, an old versus new mm -hmm. sort of thing that went on, but you know, even like even people who really liked stats um, still questioned the decision, but and like on the surface, it looked bad, but I mean, the more we looked into it and there were like, I didn't even realize the parallel that could be drawn to um, the first playoff game that Snell pitched yep. uh, this that year, 2020. So I went on a tirade on Twitter this game, and that was one of the things I referenced was that this is not, this is not a new thing. So, okay. Well, let's just start at the top of the game. Uh, the Rays draw the first blood on Randy Arozarena's 10th home run of the postseason off Tony Gonsolin in the first inning. And uh, if you're here to hear about what the Rays offense did in game six, uh, your day here is done. That's about it. It really yeah. doesn't – there's literally nothing after that. They got, a, they got four at-bats with runners in scoring position. Yay. Um, but Blake Snell, he was out there and he came to play. He was absolutely dealing. He struck out the top three hitters in the Dodgers order both times that they came up. That includes Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner. So obviously he came to play. He was dealing. And in around like the fourth or fifth inning, it was a one nothing Rays game still. Snell was doing what he always does. And I tweeted, quote, The way the Rays operate, Blake Snell is going to have a short leash if his team doesn't give him any run support need the Rays to score to keep Snell in the game. And I don't know if you saw this tweet, Chris, but I think you can agree with what I was saying there. Yeah, and like, you know, we 
uh, when uh, Kevin Cash came out, you know, we were we were text texting each other, mm-hmm. if you will, like you said, and you said you knew this was going to happen, and I was like, yeah, you're right. I did know this was going to happen. This has yeah. happened the entire playoffs, and for the most part, for the most part, it's worked. Um, and uh, you know, it, we saw it ha- we saw it coming. It happened, yeah. and uh, now it's all now it's all hindsight. So obviously it is controversial to take Blake Snell out of that game. He had 73 pitches. He had nine strikeouts over five innings. Uh, If you want to hear about any possible signs that he was slowing down, uh, he hadn't had a strikeout since the fourth inning. This was with one out in the sixth. And also the last fastball that he threw was the lowest velocity of any fastball he had thrown that night. It was 94.3 miles an hour. So if you want to be nitpicky, that's your reason as to why Blake Snell was slowing down. Um, you can take that however you want. You can dismiss that, and I would understand it, to be honest. But that's obviously, you know, if you're looking for anything, there it is. So with that being said, he was also going through the Dodgers order for the third time as Austin Barnes, the nine-hitter, had just hit a single. And Blake Snell, third time through the order in 2020, and 9-13 OPS against. Uh, last time I checked, Chris, that's not very good. Yeah, no. No, it's not what you want. 913 OPS against, no. And, you know, obviously, I get that game six of the World Series facing elimination is a much different environment, but, you know, that does make a stronger case if you really think about it for why you take them out because, you know, this is obviously a dangerous lineup where literally anyone in this lineup could kill you. You know, one swing of the bat, and it's a 2-1 game in favor of the Dodgers. So that's what happens. He takes Blake Snell out. Great day. Five innings pitched. Five and a third innings pitched. Uh, obviously, his, his run count was to be determined at the time. Nine strikeouts, no walks, and two hits. So that was obviously magnificent. And you know what? You can say whatever you want about whether he still should have been out there or not. I understand any, uh, any argument that's made there. But I think the biggest controversy in this whole decision is the fact that Kevin Cash brought in Nick Anderson immediately out of the bullpen. Anderson, you know, he is the he is their guy. You know, he was a guy that I highlighted in the beginning of this season as one of the best strikeout artists in the game today. And he had been that in the regular season, only one earned run allowed all regular season. There was an extra innings home run. So obviously this is a guy that had been nails in the regular season, but in the postseason, completely different animal. Earned runs allowed in six consecutive appearances going into that night. And that's definitely not the hot hand at all. So that is certainly a questionable decision, even if he was your guy. And he promptly gives up a double to Mookie Betts, throws a wild pitch to allow Austin Barnes to score, and then gets Corey Seager to ground into a fielder's choice. And the go-ahead run scores. So now it is a 2-1 Los Angeles Dodgers lead. Yeah. Yeah, and I would agree, yeah. Nick Anderson coming in in there is an odd situation. And it's sort of the – sort of the devil's argue or devil's advocate um, argument I was kind of making for keeping him in is like, you know, the state of the Rays bullpen is a little different than it was at the beginning of the playoffs and in the regular season, like Nick Anderson, particularly, I don't know about the rest of the bullpen, but Nick Anderson had allowed uh, at least one earned run in each of his previous six uh, appearances which is not great when you're a uh, reliever. And, you know, I don't know what the 
other options could have been. I know Diego Castillo had like one bump in the road in the Astros series, but usually was pretty good. Um, and I think Fairbanks later on went to give up a homer, right? Yes, and I'll talk about the Fairbanks decision later because that also stirred up some controversy. One well, other like, point yeah, I – Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the last thing I'll say is, yeah, I think in one of the more pivotal moments of the game, you don't bring in a guy trending like Nick Anderson. I think, the, I think it was a bigger problem that it was Anderson than the fact that Snell yeah, was actually taken I out. I completely agree with that. I mean, I in, think – In hindsight, I didn't really realize that at the time. That's correct, and I think the the more public perception is the the Snell getting taken out thing, uh, which, you know, you can say whatever you want. I mean, you know, this would be like if if uh, Bobby Cox pulled John Smoltz in '91 uh, in Game Seven, or if Jack Morris was pulled in that game. But you know, the reality is we'll never know. And re- in reality, Blake Snell probably wouldn't have gotten past, regardless of pitch count, he would not have pitched past like the sixth or seventh inning anyway because the Rays have the stable and they're going to use it. So with that being said, this is what the Rays have done, not just all year, but also in the postseason. You know, you want to talk about the Rays, you know, managing their pitching staff and not having guys go deep into games. The very first playoff game that they played, Blake Snell had a no-hitter going through five innings. He gave up one hit, and two batters later, with only that one hit allowed, was out of the game with 82 pitches. You know, that is virtually the same thing. You also had uh, Tyler Glass now, and granted, he was on what two days rest at the time, I believe. You know, he only faces the the Yankees order one time one time through in Game Five, and he only gave up, I believe, one base runner as well. So maybe two base runners, if that. But obviously, yeah, he, he had too. done a very good job, and only faced them one time through. And then in ALCS Game Seven, you have Charlie Morton absolutely dealing just as much if not more than Blake Snell was and you have him being taken out after 66 pitches because he got himself into a little bit of a jam and guess what the Rays won every single one of those games because the bullpen came in and did their job so whatever you know you can take that however you want I get that the situation in the World Series is different but they were also facing elimination two out of those three times so like they are playing with fire when they do this and most of the time it works and the one time that it does and everyone loses their mind yeah, that is true. And like, that's what, that's the thing with Kevin Cash is like, the easy decision is to leave him in, you know, he got, I think he got some, like, at the time, like during the decision in game seven of the ALCS, um, again, with uh, Charlie Morton, there was a little criticism, like, uh, I, I hate this move, but it ended up working. There was criticism, but it worked. Yeah, it worked. I mean, you know, the bullpen ended up giving up two runs, but it was a four nothing game. So it didn't matter, but also like, and I'm, I'm kind of here. I'm here for the argument saying that you're better off extending Blake Snell than you are putting in Nick Anderson to that situation. I'm here for that argument, but taking Mm -hmm. him out altogether, I kind of get, and I'm looking at, I think, and I don't know what Kevin Cash's plans were had he kept the lead, but Diego Castillo, um, Head, like heading into the his postseason ERA heading into that game was one six four, so yeah. I think maybe, but it's also you're assuming probably not the most critical part of the game. You didn't think it was going to be. You didn't see like Mookie Betts hitting a, a double in the next at bat off Nick Anderson. You mm-hmm. didn't see that, but 
you know, it's a it's a weird situation. And one thing I'd also like to point out is uh, Kevin Cash probably told Blake Snell before the game and probably before most yeah. of these games, like you're facing 18 batters. Empty Go all effort for, for 18. Empty yeah. the tank for these 18 batters. Like Blake Snell was not prepared to face more than 18 batters that game. You know, he, you know, he adrenaline's going and he did say that he wanted to go more, but that doesn't mean that much. He was prepared for 18 batters. It's kind of how he's played out his whole season. Like his innings per start is I think less than five innings. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of how he's gone about his whole season. But, and uh, you know, things, things like that don't change. You don't really, go change of plans like that in terms of extending a starter in the, in the playoffs. You don't really see that happen. And, you know, say whatever you want about Kevin Cash making this, this, this decision, but you know, and you know, and I know, and the whole world knows that this wasn't Kevin Cash. This was the upper management, the scouting department that made this plan that Kevin Cash was, you know, directed to follow. So that obviously happens. And guess what, whether you like it or not, that's the reason the Rays were even in this situation to begin with. We're not talking about the Rays if analytics don't exist, if they don't run under the system that they do, where they got to take the guys out early. That's why they got there. So, you know, whether you like the decision or not, this is how the Rays play. This is what they're, this is what they do. So, and like you mentioned with the, you know, telling him to go all effort for 18 batters, this is probably, it makes sense to tell him that because, no matter how he pitches that night, this is going to be the last time we see Blake Snell all season, whether they win or not. You know, he's obviously not going to be available in a game seven on zero days rest when he just started. You know, you're going to have all hands on deck except for Blake Snell. So, yeah, it makes sense. Empty the tank for 18 batters, and we're going to take it from there. And that is more than likely what Kevin Cash said before the game. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah, that's exactly what got them there. And, um, could have potentially maybe bit them at the end, but like, yeah, the, they didn't get there the same way the Dodgers did. They don't have, they don't have Mookie Betts. They don't have Walker Bueller. They don't have a, you know, Clayton Kershaw or they don't, they don't have money. <laughs> That's don't what they have, don't have. They don't have, uh, <laughs> they don't have Cody Bellinger. They don't have these, these types, these archetypes of players. What got them there was depth and in-game managing and kind of playing chess over the uh, over the other teams. And that's why they went 40 and 20 and made the World Series. That's right. I mean, you were not, they're not there. So that obviously happens. Uh, do you have anything else to say on this decision? Because that's kind of what, what made the whole world go, go crazy. Yeah, and it, it's also like making the hard decisions like these are, is why Kevin Cash is going to win manager of the year. Yes, he's going to. And if he doesn't, that is a crime against humanity. And yeah, I hope it's not Rick Renteria. That'll just be a weird scene. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I have, can we, can honestly, okay. After we'll save it for later. Oh yeah. We need to talk about about that because that, that was an even worse decision than bringing Blake, than taking Blake Snell out of game. So anyway, as we go on, it's now a 2-1 Dodgers lead, and the Dodgers are, you know, this is a bullpen game for them. And you mentioned, Chris, after Gonsolin came out, their bullpen was elite level, right? Yeah. yeah uh, they, uh, do you remember the exact seven, line? Seven and a third, two hits, no walks, 12 strikeouts. That's and no insane. Runs. Yeah. Yeah, no they runs. They were unhittable between all those guys that came in. Uh, so now in the eighth inning, in the seventh inning, he brings in Pete Fairbanks, who you know gets a who gets a shutout inning and then he brings it back out for the eighth, 
And there was also some controversy over bringing Fairbanks out for a second inning. And I don't hold that value to myself because in four of Pete Fairbanks's six previous playoff appearances, he has gone more than three outs. So this is why you have Pete Fairbanks. He is a multiple inning relief guy and he was doing multiple inning relief things. And people only said this because he gave up the home run to Mookie Betts. And in those six appearances that I, that are aforementioned, he had a three ERA with 11 strikeouts, three runs and two walks in nine innings pitch. So guess what? Pete Fairbanks was asked to do what he normally does. And because he gave up one home run, Kevin Cash was criticized yet again. Uh, I don't think we should be yelling at Cash for that one at all. So. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it's weird because yeah, he just doesn't have, he doesn't have, uh, the, like, yeah, he doesn't have, he doesn't have like those starters that really go like seven plus innings. So he'll get criticized when he takes guys out after five plus innings about, and you know, I mean, it's what exactly what you said. It's what got them there. And, you know, it's just, yeah, a lot of it had to do like Nick Anderson being in there in the sixth inning questionable, but a lot of it had to do with guys just not being able to do their job. Mm -hmm. A lot of what, a lot of what it was. So the night goes on Mookie Betts hits a home run and the Los Angeles Dodgers win the 2020 world series, their seventh championship in franchise history, their first since 1988. And Chris, this was this was a long time coming, and it was bound to happen at some point. Yeah, it was. And last thing I'll say, you can't blame Kevin Cash for the Rays only scoring one run. That's the last last thing I will say. And also going over four with the runners in scoring position. Yeah, and they they got how many base runners? Four or five the entire game. You can't and they like. Went, and then yeah, one they, for seven in game five. No matter like, normally when you allow three runs, you win. Like probably about. 60 65 especially for the Dodgers yeah uh so or or wait wait what what was I saying there normally Uh, when you score yeah normally when you three runs you win or no what normally when you allow sorry normally when you allow three runs you win that game you're supposed to score you're supposed to score you know three or four runs uh Mm -hmm. yourself they only Rays only scored one run, right? And uh, like, you know, ironically, that was ironically this game was actually the least amount that the Dodgers scored all series. Yeah, and it's the Kevin Cash has the most heat on him for that. Uh, so interesting, you know. It's just, you know, you you gotta you gotta make somebody the easy target. It's not always so cut and dry, especially. Also, with I'm just baseball. looking at this now. Um, this was the fir- Pete Fairbanks. The Rays were eight and one in Pete Fairbanks' appearances in the postseason. This is the one game that they lost. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he's that he's in that kind of situation. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, do we want to talk about the Rays' season first, or the uh, or the Dodgers? Let's being- talk about the Dodgers, and then we'll get to the Rays Dodgers. in a little, little bit. Yeah. So this is a long time coming. I mean, they had won the division eight years in a row, and year after year after year, it was something else. It was Kershaw. It was Roberts. It was this, that, the other thing. Something would always go wrong for the Dodgers, and they wouldn't choke, and they would choke. And this year was finally the different year. Yeah. Um, something something happened this year. Uh, I in, in the preseason, 
I just I picked Rays over Dodgers because mm -hmm. I just didn't trust I just didn't trust that the that the Dodgers would do it. But like everything on paper tells you that the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Yeah. And, and there uh, were, there's no mistake about that. And yeah, like and I think I think the differences are kind of what we expected the differences would be had they won a World Series. Kershaw was amazing and Dave Roberts didn't really have many very many hiccups. No, he didn't. He he, made the, he pushed the right buttons for most of the time. And even the things that went wrong, you could blame the players for. Like, you can't blame him for Kenley Jansen blowing a save in game four. You know, you can't blame mm -hmm. him for for Brandon Pedro Baez. For Pedro, I mean, Pedro Baez is the one little nitpick, but even still. Yeah, P Pedro Baez's first home run, like, he was great against mm -hmm. lefties the entire year. Yeah. You know, the, the second home run he could be blamed for. But, like, yeah, Dave Roberts didn't – he he was good for most of the most of the playoffs pushed most of the right buttons didn't didn't mm -hmm. do anything that really uh handicapped the team and Clayton Kershaw uh both starts in the World Series that's what they needed they needed him to have two yeah. very good starts in the World Series it's exactly what he did so we can finally just clear up all the controversies in Clayton Kershaw's legacy you know he has his ring he's legitimately done everything you could possibly ask a guy to do He's won an MVP as a pitcher. He's won three Cy Youngs. He's an eight-time All-Star. He has a pitching triple crown award title. He is a five-time ERA winner. He has a gold glove. He has a major league player of the year. And now, after 12 years of trying, after countless postseason failures, after 189 innings pitched in the postseason, we can finally say that Clayton Kershaw is a World Series champion it was long overdue you know he was he was a scapegoat for a lot of it at times and we can finally just dig the narrative into the grave yeah and it's good to see because there were a lot of like in recent years we've seen like guys uh sort of sort of get monkeys off their back and get also get like their first world series like 2017 Verlander got his first World Series. 2018, David Price got his first World Series. Even like an uh, 01 with Randy Johnson. Like he is a guy that struggled in the postseason uh, before that. I yeah. Mean, he got the monkey off his back and won a ring. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about guys who weren't great in the postseason. Like Max Scherzer last year gets a gets a ring. Now it was Clay, it was Clayton Kershaw's turn this time and he, it was. he got it. Yeah. It was long overdue. And I mean, I think I speak for all baseball fans when we say that we are happy for him. Like, this is, he deserves it. You know, you can say what you want about his past, but he, he worked his way to this position, and he, and he played a pivotal role. He got two wins in the series, had a 2-3-1 ERA, 14 strikeouts and 11 and two-thirds innings pitched, only three earned runs total. Uh, he wasn't just along for the ride. Like, he will always be a legit member of this World Series team. And he was actually born – the last year the Dodgers won the World Series. Uh, oh, yeah, 1988. Mm -hmm. 1988. Yeah, and he made five total starts in the postseason. It was the expanded playoffs. Um, and he, outside of the uh, LCS, he played a role in each series. LCS, he had, a, he had one hiccup, you know, four runs allowed, but nothing too, nothing too terrible. And then, yeah more than makes up for it in the world series. And yeah. yeah, it's good to see, you know, a year ago I was calling him 
Clayton Hershaw uh, to uh, call him a, a choker, but uh, now we're just calling him Clayton Kershaw, yeah. World Series champion. That's what we're That's calling right. him. We all knew that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, regardless of if he ever were to get a ring or not, but now he finally has it. Like, now there is nothing, you know, you can't have, like, the, the Giants and the Padre fans of the world being like, yeah, but, yeah, but, he got it. Like, he mm -hmm. did everything you could possibly ask a Major League Baseball player to do, especially as a pitcher. Yeah, and odds are he might be able to get another one um, Yeah. in the next few years. I mean, the I think, I mean, I'm trying to think, this Dodgers team might – might have the best chance of repeating out of a lot Any and also recent history also let's think of circumstances they didn't have the long like the long strenuous season that a lot of these recent champions had they only played for three months um and they're gonna kind of they're kind of gonna return uh, sort of fresh in a way uh yeah. unlike unlike a lot of these teams they don't have any big free agents do they um no one big. I mean, just some relief pitchers and Kike Hernandez, but yeah, you know, they lost Justin, Justin Turner is a big one, but I think he's coming back. He's, oh yeah. He's, was... He just finished his age 35 season. So you figure he's not going to get anything more than like a two, three year deal. Uh, and I see no reason why the Dodgers wouldn't do that. He's yeah. Actually about, he's actually about to turn 36. His birthday is on November 23rd. So yeah, he's going to get signed through his age 37, 38 seasons if that yeah and i don't see him not returning yeah i would be surprised if um if he left like they uh the dodgers sort sometimes do these types of deals like they signed rich hill for three years like in his age like 37 season just because they also they have the financial flexibility so if it does indeed flop it's uh it's not much of a liability for them but turner should be doing well for the next few years and, you know, uh, Turner, he's been he's been with the Dodgers for so long. He has such a great legacy there. You know, he's he was an all-star uh, for them in the year 2017. He should have been on that team that got out, that got cheated by the Astros. He was an NLCS MVP for them, uh, I believe, in 20 – was it 2017? I think it was 2017. And now he's a World Series champion, and he gets the honorary Silver Spreader Award because in the eighth inning – of game six this is if this isn't the most 2020 headline ever i don't know I what mean, is chris i mean how 2020 can this get justin turner tests positive for the coronavirus the first positive test in the mlb bubble if you can even call it that if there's fans there all postseason yeah. and this was such a weird scenario because he gets he, we're, we don't know what the official word is because there's been reports that like he tested positive twice he tested positive in the second inning and then he played six innings knowing he had covid blah 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 and he was on the field celebrating with the Dodgers afterwards without a mask on he was hugging his teammates he was kissing his wife and it was it was just a whole thing of what are we doing here what is going on and as of now there haven't been any, any more reported cases among the Dodgers uh I don't think that should mean that he's off the hook because he obviously still put everyone at risk and there's currently an investigation going on around this. And, uh, the league released a statement that basically threw him under the bus. Uh, and in fairness, I mean, he, he did all that willingly. So, uh, I don't know. What were your takes on all that? 
Yeah, it's it's weird. I, I'm not the I'm probably not the best judge of this. Like I mean, I just see it and I'm like, all right, well, there there he goes. That's what he's doing. Like mm-hmm. does, does the team know? I don't know. Well, I mean I feel like, like the team has to know. Like they can't just like they can't just hide that from like Dave Roberts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dave Roberts I, is the one who took him out. So obviously, like, they're not just gonna just randomly decide to take out one of their longest tenured players, who's also the three hitter in the middle of a game for no reason. Dave Roberts had to have known. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. I mean, like, I'm thinking about like his career. Like, he kind of came over as a nobody, and he's been on the team for seven years, and like now he gets to celebrate, but he has a he has a positive COVID test. And yeah, like I don't know. I, I guess he probably shouldn't be out there, but no, uh, it's uh, it was it was kind of weird. I mean, the whole thing is obviously going to look really bad for MLB. Um, you know, it's I have no idea what's going to come of this. I like I don't know if Turner's going to be suspended. I don't know if what's going to happen. But I mean, there is an investigation going on, meaning that. The MLB is probably going to come down with some sort of punishment, whether that be suspending him for like 15 games or so, whatever it might be. Something's probably going to happen. And um, this isn't going to be a good look for the league. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's kind of weird. Like even if he couldn't celebrate on the field, they could have made like a, a little bit out of it. They could have, they could have like, FaceTimed him on an iPad and like yeah. team photo would be him on an iPad iPad because he it'd be a, a yeah, it'd be a pretty creative thing. Like obviously, you know, it's yeah. not fun to not have to celebrate with your team, but this is the reality that we live in. We have this disease here that's been you know, the entire country's been on halt for the last seven months because of it. So like you gotta it's been even more than that, actually. I, I've lost track of time at this point, but you gotta, you know, this is the world we live in, so you gotta abide. And I think it would have been pretty cool, like you said, if they had like an iPad, like if they had Dave Roberts holding up an iPad next to the trophy and he had Justin Turner, Turner smiling from isolation, wherever he may have been next to the trophy. Uh, I think that would be, that would be a great, you know, like obviously it's not the same, but I feel like that would be a great picture to look back on and be like, yeah, this is what, this is what we lived through. Like, this is the reality we had back then. Yeah. Like this is 2020 in a picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that that's what it would be like. Yeah. Celebrating a World Series in 2020. <laughs> yeah. When you have a when you have a positive COVID test. But yeah. It you know uh, I <laughs> I I wouldn't have done that, but hey, I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. It's very weird. Um, yeah. I guess we'll have to see what comes of that, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, Dodgers are World Series good. champions. Yeah, Dodgers World Series champions. Kershaw's legacy improved by a lot. Mookie um, Betts is a champion in both leagues. And yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if there's like a team better due to repeat in the last like ten, maybe even like twenty years. Yeah, I agree. Like maybe I'm, I'm like the. To... Like the 11, 12 Cardinals, maybe. Yeah, or like 16 to 17 Cubs, but also like they had a long postseason and they mm-hmm. lost Chapman. Um, but they didn't really, they didn't lose a lot of like, remember when we were talking about like the Cubs are going to have a dynasty 
and yeah. that never really ne- that never really it came never really happened it. i mean i guess it yeah i mean i guess if they even still win like it's not gonna be the same yeah like it'll be if they win next year it's still five years apart like and you know what like i feel like a lot of i mean a lot of the talk in a normal scenario would be like the cubs at that core and they only got one like what a what a disgrace but in reality it's they got one you know how long they had been waiting for one yeah exactly you know, if, it, if this was any other organization it would be like man they could have done more yeah like i i'm kind of like with talking about this and talking a little bit about kershaw it reminds me of um when we did the 95 Braves, mm-hmm. like they talked about how, how like, um, yeah, they were, they were great. And like, but a lot of people talk about how they only got one and like, you can talk about that with Kershaw, like Kershaw was in the playoffs. He's been in the playoffs eight times now. He's, he's reaching 200 innings in the playoffs. Yeah. And he got, he got, he only got one so far. And like the Cubs, like they had, they've had Bryant Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, Arietta, Lester, Hendricks. But like those four, they've had this entire time, mm-hmm. and like they still they haven't been able to get back to the World Series. The, the closest they got was one win in the NLCS. Yeah, and it was and it was when they were down three zero. So it's not even like that win was like a oh boy this is it. Like it was the most unencouraging win ever, and they shouldn't even shouldn't even have been that NLCS because the Nationals just played horribly in that game five too yeah it's uh it's true it's weird very weird but you know no one's gonna look at it that way because it's the cubs and because they were so desperate just to get one and also the way they won that one was so dramatic Mm -hmm. um but yeah it is interesting to think like that core could have done so much more exactly yeah and after after 2021 they uh got bryant rizzo and baez uh contracts coming up they do so, so, be fun. so that's the end of that core. Um, and also, you'd imagine this is a good, this is a very good time for the Dodgers to get their one because, you know, obviously they've been the perennial NL favorites every single year. But this is a time now where you have San Diego Padres, you know, they're very up and coming and they look like a team that is going to be perennial playoff contenders for the next 10 years. So it's good that before San Diego begins to possibly take over this division, you have the Dodgers, you know, getting over the hump so they don't have to worry about it for the future. Yeah, because, yeah, the, the the Dodgers winning the NL West has been, you know, preseason at least almost a guarantee for the past eight years. Four, yeah, like eight, yeah, yeah, almost eight years. Like during season, there's been some scares, like the Rockies kind of came up a little bit in 2018, but that went away. And even this year, like we had the Padres, uh, we had uh, – they were 10 games under 500 in 2018 at one point. Yeah, that's true. Um, Every other season was kind of just a guarantee. Yeah, and like preseason, it's like, yeah, Dodger, Dodgers win the NL West. Like, uh, yeah, like, are we talking about? Like, every year, we like when we would go over preseason predictions, we'd be like, all right, so who's going to finish second in that division and miss <laughs> yeah. the playoffs? Because we all know the Dodgers are going to make it. That's not even a discussion. They also had the Diamondbacks in 2017. Uh, they never really threatened the division, but they were they had so much momentum going into that playoffs. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, had them beating the Dodgers in that division series that the Dodgers yep. ended up sweeping. Yep, me too. I had, I had the Diamondbacks going to the World Series that year. Yeah, but I was, uh, I was dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was a it was like a popular it was a popular hot take that didn't end mm-hmm. up being hot. <laughs> it was it was end. a very bad take. Like a lot of people I talked to were like, "Yeah, Indians Diamondbacks." I was like, "Oh." Oh, this isn't 
<laughs> I'm not really in the minority. I had, uh, I had Astros Diamondbacks that year. Oh, yeah. As, yeah, at least I, I got, got one of those. Got one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I both, did get one. Both my that picks did little... not make it out of the first round. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but do we have any closing thoughts on the Dodgers? Um, no, it's just kind of a – yeah, it's, it's sort of like – a prolonged 1995 Braves thing, and maybe maybe they will win in the next couple of years again. Yeah, um, I could absolutely see it. Yeah, I mean, heading into next year, it's I'd predict, and like I don't think I don't see anybody making any moves in free agency that would dethrone the Dodgers as the best team on paper. Um, no, I can't even like you know you can say all you want about the Padres, but like let's not act like you know. You obviously there's in ways Dodgers could be even better. Like Cody Bellinger had a down year this year. You know, you could, you know, if you have him at MVP caliber level again, playing next to Mookie Betts, who's an MVP finalist this year, and then you still have, you know, you still have Max Muncie raking, you still have Clayton Kershaw, Walker Beeler dominating on the mound. You have Dustin May developing more along with Tony Gonsolin, and you have the bullpen with, you know, Kenley and, and uh younger guys like Victor Gonzalez, Adam Kalerik that are dominating the scene like this team could absolutely go for another one. Yeah. The, the Dodgers are going to be NL West favorites until someone actually dethrones. Until there them. is very good reason not for them not to be, which yeah. I don't see happening in the next, probably even like five years. Yeah. I mean, we will see it. The, it kind of depends on, it depends a lot on the Padres. You, you, it's a guarantee that the Dodgers are usually going to be good. They have yeah. some of the best, they're going to like, be perennial playoff contenders yeah. every single year. NL West contenders, you might need to put a limit limit on because of the Padres and just because of how good they can be. Uh, but the, that doesn't mean the Dodgers aren't going to be good for the next yeah. like 10 years. With their farm system and their payroll combination, um, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how they can kind of churn out players and fill in, fill in when they have a hole. If yeah. they if they want to get you know Mookie Betts you know here's three hundred sixty five million dollars and you can play along with Cody Bellinger who's who's on arbitration right now or pre arbitration right now they yep. can just they can do that that's that's, right. that's the Dodger system and uh, could get them multiple World Series but anyway on to I guess uh, the kind of eulogy of the Tampa Bay Rays outperforming a lot of people's expectations. Uh, anticlimactic end of the season but you know overall overall pretty positive yes I mean this was this will be looked at as a positive season for the Rays probably the best season in their entire history I know it's not that long but still I mean you get you know they did prove that they can hang with the Dodgers even though they are worth five times as much as they are Um, Randy Arozarena will forever have this legacy of just being a playoff legend uh, obscured as absurd as it was this year, 10 home runs in the postseason, uh, almost as many <laughs> playoff at bats as regular season at bats for his career thus far. Um, yeah. This team is going to be back. And, you know, they're going to make moves that might make you scratch your head like they do all the time, but they're going to work out for them like they always do. Um, and I think the race fans should keep their head up uh, at this year, even though it didn't, it ended in this, you know, sour taste in everyone's mouths. But you're still going to have Blake Snell. You're still going to have Tyler Glass now, who hopefully will do better next year than he did this year. 
Morton is a free agent now, so that does give you a question mark. But you got to keep in mind the amount of pitchers that the Rays had go down with injury this year. You know, Yanni Chirinos went down. Chaz Rowe went down. Um, Andrew Kittredge went, went down. They had so many guys. And there's even more that I, that I can't think of at the very moment. But they had so many guys. As much as anyone else go down with injuries this year. Uh, and they're going to be back better than ever next year. Yeah, um, like Charlie Morton barely played a factor this year, and they still had a 667 winning percentage. So mm-hmm. I don't like he's not. Colin Poche was another guy who went down. Yeah, uh, with an injury. Jose so, Alvarado was hurt for most of the year, but he did come back for the playoffs. So, like you know, any anybody they put out there seemed to do their job. And I, I kind of would expect repeated success for next year. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if it will be first place in the A at least again next year. I mean, uh, it might be silly to bring up, but I like, I do bring up like crowds, no one having a crowd, you know, it plays into the raise advantage because usually if they go into a visiting stadium, uh, everyone's rooting against them. And if they go into their home stadium, um, it's not a lot of people are rooting for them and it's a lot of out of towners, uh, rooting against them as well. Yeah. Uh, so like them not having. I really hope they can get a new stadium. That's not in St. Petersburg an hour away from Tampa Bay. Yeah. Because the bucks, the bucks and the lightning draw crowds. So it's not just the, it's not, you know, the city. That's the problem. It's the fact that they built this god awful looking stadium an hour away from where the team actually is is located in their name. Um, that's what a lot of the problem is. And I know that if the Rays were to build an actual stadium in Tampa Bay rather than St. Petersburg, they're going to draw thirty thousand fans a game when they're good, a hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah, you want a baseball feel. And I've never been to Tropicana Field, but by look by the looks of it, it doesn't look like no, you're getting a baseball a no. feel out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, stadium but yeah like uh, you know they <laughs> them not them like facing other crowds might be a a thing next year but who knows I mean there might there's probably going to be limited crowds for the for most of next year as well so who knows how that works but yeah yeah I mean they'll keep having talent especially on the pitching side Austin Meadows should probably have a bounce back year next year um, I know mm-hmm. he didn't have the best of years. That's kind of your, that's who should be your main offensive contributor. Willie Adamas is coming off a very good year at shortstop. Um, who else? G-Man Choi is decent. Yeah. He's a Kevin Kiermaier is still going to be back. Uh, Manuel yeah. Margot. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, it's uh, no one really is safe because Tommy Pham was one of their best performers on offense in 2019. Where'd mm-hmm. he go? He went to San Diego. So to be honest, no one is really safe on this roster except for, I guess, Kiermaier because of his tenure. But yeah, the Rays could make some moves that are very questionable that could very much still work out for them. So I think I've learned at this point not to actually question the Rays. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you get a full year of Randy or Rosarena. Mm-hmm. He only played 23 games in the regular season for the Rays. Yeah. And he had a tw- and he had a one, he had a 10 22 OPS, I believe. Yeah. So it's not, it's not really fluky. He mm-hmm. should be successful uh, in the future. So, yeah, Brandy Rose Rain should be good. 
for you uh, next year and you get a full year out of him. Mike Brasso. I will say this. I do wonder what the Rays could do if they did pick one guy out there just to throw a bunch of money at. Like, I know that they live under this idea that they can't pay people money, but Stuart Sternberg has money. And I would really be intrigued. What if they went out and they got, like, Marcelo Zuna for, like, 150 mil? Like, what if they exclusively opened the checkbooks for that guy and plopped him in the middle of that order? It's a... It's a real mystery. It's a real what if situation. Yeah. Like I would be very, very interested in watching a race team like that. Like with, if they picked out one guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's something I would like to see for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rays, the Rays definitely interest us, uh, you know, as like an analytically driven team, but unfortunately they don't really have the, the money to get a superstar. And if they do have a superstar, they usually end up, uh, leaving in free agency like David Price or they get traded mm-hmm. uh, like David Price. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I guess, you know, Rays are probably going to succeed again next year. Um, maybe win the AL East again. We'll, we'll see. Um, I think that a lot, that depends on the Yankees. Yeah. It depends on the Yankees for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's going to be Yankees. It's going to be Yankees Rays again, fighting for it. And then maybe year. the Blue Jays, but I don't, yeah. I, something. Unless the, the Blue Jays make worries, a big move. The one thing that worries me about the Blue Jays is the fact that they won't be playing at Salem field. And I've gone over all the numbers there and how the Blue Jays just had tremendous amounts of success over there, as opposed to what they had on the road. On yeah, offense. We'll, we'll see about, about the Blue Jays. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, they could still see some improvement from Vlad Guerrero Jr. They need that. Yeah. Um, Bo they have to have improvement from Vlad Jr. Yeah, exactly. And Bo Bichette for a full year next year, Nate Pearson developing. Maybe they get something on the free agent market. Maybe they could make some noise in the ALEs, but it's likely going to be a raised Yankees yeah. uh, at the top of the division. But yeah. Uh, anything more on the raise? No, I got nothing. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the Tampa Bay Rays. So I guess uh, after eulogizing the um, the 2020 Tampa Bay Rays, uh, we should kind of eulogize this season. This weird, yeah, weird 60 game expanded playoffs 2020 season. Um, I mean, uh, you know, we're we're gonna be talk we're gonna be talking about this season for the rest of time probably about Mm -hmm. what was going on uh i mean like literally the first the first game of the year juan soto's gotta gotta go because because he got a positive covid test uh and there's a rain delay and then and and then in like the fourth day you know the marlins have this entire team outbreak like set like 14 people ended up testing positive on the team alone that doesn't include coaches and staff members and People forget within like a week, we literally had Rob Manfred telling Tony Perez, if the players don't figure it out, I'm going to shut this whole thing down. Like that was something that was actually said in the first week of the season. And you know, you had so many people being like, well, this isn't, this season isn't going to finish. Like there's no way that they could possibly finish this off. And here we are. We did it. Yeah. I mean, there was a, and like the reason it was 60 games, it could have been 82, but Mm -hmm. the, uh, the owners and, the commissioner and the players had big disagreements. We didn't know if the season was going to happen. Luckily it did. Uh, like 
and we got we we got the sixty game season. Mm-hmm. We did get the sixty game season after the. La- I mean, we went through literally so much, like the labor negotiations that lasted like a month. You had the whole- yeah. Drop my headphones. The players had their whole like when and where campaign, mm-hmm. which the, the owners still didn't care about. They still tried just tried to kept negotiating, even though the players, vo- you know, visibly were done with it. You finally had the settling on sixty games. You had, you know, the the summer camps, you had so many players testing positive before it even started, you know, Charlie Blackman, Freddie Freeman, uh, Joey Gallo, so many different guys were producing positive tests and there were real wonders on if it was going to get off the ground. And then obviously within the first couple of weeks, you have two teams having major outbreaks, you know, the Marlins going clubbing, the Cardinals going to a casino. You had all that. You had the expanded playoff that was added literally last minute. You were probably driving to my house when that was announced. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, very confusing, confusing. And I think around like early to mid August is when we were like, all right, we should be good. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, a, a sigh of relief. Like after, mm-hmm. I think you after had the, the whole, uh, you had the whole Zach Plesak, Mike Clevenger thing, which it's was true. super dramatic. You had so many different moments where we were just like, what is going on here? Are we even going to see a world series? Yeah, it was true. And, you know, in labor negotiations, it was like, like, is there guaranteed pay for the playoffs? Do we know if playoffs are going to happen? Uh, luckily, it did, because, I mean, just looking at the world right now, um, especially when you're really not in a bubble, uh, this is the time where things could be getting shut down again. So luckily, yeah. luckily, the uh, MLB got that in mm-hmm. uh, for us. But yeah, yeah, there was a lot, a lot going on after the Marlins. After the Marlins got settled, even though the Cardinals were gone for longer, is like the Cardinals had to play endless doubleheaders. Yeah, seven inning doubleheaders. Uh, that was that was the thing. God. Yeah, uh, I mean, we uh, and we got to see expanded playoffs. What did we? We think got to see expanded, expanded playoffs? playoffs. We got to see the universal DH. We got to see the three batter minimum rule. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of things. I, I think. If the universal DH doesn't stay, that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, you had – like, there were not any complaints from, like, MLB personnel or players about the universal DH. You had the ridiculous extra inning runner on second rule that I hope never sees the light of day ever again. I don't think anyone had any positive outtakes about that. You had the three batter minimum, which everyone was very iffy about. Uh, you know, that team that, – that rule was kind of – it kind of just existed. I think the general notion was that no one really liked it at first and no one really said anything afterwards. Expanded playoffs. Um, I mean, I don't like the fact that there were two under 500 teams that got in, but if they are going to expand playoffs, there's no real way to do it outside of that because you can't really do what the NFL does because like Trevor Bauer mentioned back in March, you can't just give the number one seed a buy because that's going to screw them over. So that's a whole question mark. Um, I wouldn't be surprised as to whether it stays or not. And I don't think I'd be upset or excited regardless. You know, I think whatever happens happens and I'm just going to feel, you know, decent about it no matter what. So, uh, I mean, I'm glad that the expanded playoffs gave us a, a world series and a world series champion where we were like, all right, yeah, they earned it. And this probably wouldn't have been different in a one sixty-two game setting. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. And yet, Universal DH. Yeah, I, I mean, I, everyone, everyone kind of likes it. Like, 
none of the mm. National League purists were like, really wish I could have uh, a double switch. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever talks about the double switch unless it's the DH conversation. Like yeah. National League fans don't care about it when it's happening. It's just, oh, uh, we decided now that we like this just because we feel like defending it. Like, no, you didn't say a single word about it beforehand. Like, stop acting like you were all for this before. Yeah, and, like, I wish I could have some terrified relief pitcher try to lay a bunt down in mm. this situation. It would be so cool. I wish they would I, – I love when there's bases loaded and two outs in the third inning and my pitcher comes up to bat. I, I'm such a big fan of that. I'd much rather have that over an actual hitter. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it makes for great excitement. Yeah, I love that Michael Franco has 19 intentional walks this year because <laughs> he's he has a because uh, the batter after him is a free is a free, free out. Free out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I love when yeah Michael Franco uh, is not up in a pressure situation when it's second and third, and uh, Andy just gets intentionally walked and you get a you get the pitcher struck out to end the inning love when that pitches and it was the most uncompetitive at that ever yeah and you know when it, like if it comes back i don't not a lot of people are going to be jumping for joy like no one noticed it no. and uh <laughs> no I'm, I'm glad it happened this year and i hope yeah. to see it and i i hope to god it stays and um if anything else it's good for the players. It's 15 extra jobs. Yes. It's, yes. it's, it's been mentioned. Like if we're going to, if we're going to disband in a bunch of minor league teams, at least give us a DH in every league that can fill another roster spot. Yeah. They're expanding the rosters as it is. So might as well have the universal DH. Yeah. Uh, so you have more guys, you know, longer yeah, careers, longer careers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And uh, yeah, three better minimums. Um, I could do without it. I mean, it was it was weird watching these playoff games. Like, um, do you put Caleric in here? There's a lefty, but then there's also two righties after that. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, if you can, yeah. If there's one, if you only have to face one batter in like little league, then I feel like that should be the same in like the MLB. Uh, there's not as many personnel changes in little league. I, I don't think it really disrupts the game that much, but if it stays, I'm not completely heartbroken, but I could do without it. And the, what, yeah, the, the runner, yeah, the runner at second base. Get that out of here. Get that the hell out of here. If you're going to do it, implement it in like the 13th inning. Yes. Because like, and by the way, they just did, the fact that they didn't do it in the playoffs just goes to show how much of an abomination that was. Like, it yeah. was so bad during the regular season that they were like, well, we can't have this in, impacting playoff games. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Especially when you like, guy, teams are built to win like off of their bullpen. Yeah. So if you have a deeper bullpen, you're at a better advantage. But mm-hmm. it's not exactly that when you have a runner on second to start the inning uh, and like what else uh, like in the regular season, I, I I'll relate this to hockey, hockey, they regular, regular uh, regulation is over. Then they have a five minute overtime period and then they have a shootout. So like it, if you were to, if you were to keep the thing in, in baseball, I would have it. So 
you play your nine innings. Then if it's extra innings, you go up until the 12th inning and then the 13th inning, that's when you bring the runner on because you know what, if you want to end the game like that, fine by me, just implement it in like the 13th inning or later, give us three, three innings of legit baseball after regulation. Cause I know after the 12th inning, it gets a little sketchy. That's when you have Nathan Eovaldi throwing six innings, but also throwing 97 pitches out of the bullpen. Yeah. But also, yeah, you can't have that in the playoffs hockey in the playoffs. They just have infinite overtime periods until someone scores. So that's how it should be for baseball as well. You can't be like rushing to the end of the game uh, in the playoffs. That's, that's not even a question. And then uh, Uh, what about a seven inning double headers? How do you feel about that? Cause I don't, I mean, I feel like they should get rid of them just because it messes with the whole innings pitch thing. Like they gave Trevor Bauer two complete games when he pitched seven innings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't need them. If like, no, I would rather them. And also like the, 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 the double header time start times are so weird. It was like game one is at four twenty five, and then game two is like 20 minutes after game one ends. Like it's, I, I would rather just have a one o'clock, seven o'clock, nine inning double header. Yeah. And we're thinking like next year, the regular season is going to start in April mm-hmm. or March, a- late- April 1st, April 1st. So, I mean, I hope that uh, our world has this virus a little more in check and there's less likely outcome of an outbreak happening. I hope we can see some fans. I don't think we're going to be having sellout crowds on opening day, but if we can get like, if we can get what we had in the world series, I'd be fine with that. Honestly. Yeah. If there's like a vaccine development happening, then like the possibilities of like outbreaks happening on teams Mm-hmm. And the need for double headers is less likely. Um, so, but if it's still if it's still how it is now, then I guess you have to have those seven inning double headers because uh, you don't know when someone's going to test positive and potentially cause an outbreak, and then you have to play, you know, like eight double headers in in a season because you yep. miss two weeks. So, and, and then uh, expanded playoffs. Last thing, um, I don't. I'm sort of like, I'll watch any playoffs you give me, but if you're like, if you're going to have a f- first round, um, I think it should be best of five. If it's, if it's one versus eight, if it's 16 teams, a 16 team expanded playoffs, I think it should be a, f- a best of five, not a best of three. I think a lot mm-hmm. of stuff can happen in a best of three. Uh, personally, I like how, ha- the, the old playoffs and, and how they were, and I'd like them to keep it that way. Um, I, was I, say, I love the, I love the wild card game so much. Like, you know, bam, playoff start. Here come two game sevens right yeah. here. Uh, but the, the, you know, the con to that is like you play 162 games only to have your season come down to one loss. Um, mm. And it's like, well, you, you could just win the division. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And my, I think my main thing with the, um, I think a lot. Yeah. I think one thing I didn't like about the expanded playoff was that it put less emphasis, emphasis on winning the division. Like that should still be a goal for a lot of teams where you don't have yeah. to have, you know, the Astros just, you know, backpedaling in at 29 and 31 because they finished second in a weak division. Yeah. Like the, the old way that they did it, or I guess how it has been from 2012 to 2019 uh, with having three division winners and then two wild card teams duking it out. It gives a lot of incentive to win the division. And I think that's should be the team's first goal every year. 
uh, with expanded playoffs, there's not really that. The the one seed has the exact same path as the eight seed, um, mm-hmm. which is a little odd, especially if they're playing a best of three series. So, but either way, I'm going to be watching. So yeah. you're not really pandering to me on uh, what your decision is. So do what you'd like. But yeah, uh, would we should we get into uh, our best and worst players to look for uh, mm-hmm. this season? Yeah. Uh, so before in our preseason prediction show, uh, we had um, we we picked one or two players on every team to watch for in a good way, and some of them hit and some of them some of them missed. Uh, I didn't really make a list of my misses, but I'll kind of just run through them. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'll just start out. Uh, so some of my misses included Matt Boyd was a big one. Uh, I had him as a potential trade candidate. Uh, he did not get traded, so that means he did not do very well. Uh, Jordan Lupla was a huge miss for me uh, on the Indians. He was he had a miserable year. Uh, his batting average is well below 200. It was into the low 100s, so that was a tough one. Um, Scott Oberg was tough because he got hurt. Um, Luke Weaver was tough because he didn't pitch well um, for me. Uh, Brian Reynolds was a tough one because he just didn't play well. And I'd say my last big miss um, – I guess was uh, Howie Kendrick, maybe. I mean, he didn't hit very well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at some of the numbers. It's just guys that kind of uh, played meh. I had some, like, giant misses. Some, like, Go ahead. <laughs> some, some real, real bad ones mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, I'll, I'll start off a little milder, uh, kind of warm, warm the audience up. Uh, one of them was Carson Kelly. Uh, I, I was saying like he's a he's like a top five offensive catcher and he should continue that. But this year he had a 649 OPS. His OPS plus went down 40 percent. Um, he went from a pretty above average hitter to a pretty below average hitter. Um, also, uh, Victor Robles from the Nationals. Uh, I predicted he'd be a pretty big factor, bigger than last year. He ended up having negative 0.5 F war. Um, David Dahl of the Colorado Rockies, he had a, I think he just basically was told to stop playing. He had, he had a 470 OPS in 24 games and his OPS plus went down 91%. Uh, Mike Fulton, he, I, I was big on Mike. The less said about him, the better. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was big on Mike Fulton. I was like, this guy's going to get back into his like top 10 Cy Young caliber in 2018. Definitely did not happen. He had six earned runs and three and a third innings pitched, mm-hmm. And he only started one game. He, he came out, he didn't throw a ball over 91. Uh, I don't think. No. And uh, flopped pretty big. Did not make another start for the rest of the year. And I think my worst flop was Oscar Mercado. And he was one of your first uh, slightly alarmings. Yeah, he had a he ended up with a 348 OPS and a negative 5 OPS plus. His OPS plus went down 101% from last year. Um, I thought he was going to be like top 2 or 3 position player for the Indians this year. We both flopped on our Indians. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Indians outfielders were not hot this year. Well, they never have been. And uh, yeah, we thought that would change, but little did we know that was uh, that was not going to happen. 
So I guess I will get into my uh, my top five here. For two of yep. my honorable mentions, uh, I have Mike Yastrzemski as an honor- honorable mention. Um, oh, wow. I mean, obviously, he was a guy who at the beginning of the season we were talking about as a perennial MVP candidate uh, through the first month. Uh, he was really the best player on the Giants preseason anyway, but um, I had him. And another honorable mention I had was Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. He had a very good uh, run down the stretch in the season, and he also pitched very well in game one in the playoffs against the Cubs. So that's those are my two honorable mentions. So number five here, I'm going to start out with a guy who had a savant page that really intrigued me, and it was David Fletcher. Uh, that was my number five. So if you remember, uh, what I was pointing out with him preseason was that in 2019, um, he was in the third percentile of exit velo, the zeroth percentile of hard hit percentage, and the 96th percentile of expected batting average. And he kind of reinforced that this year. He was in the fourth per, uh, per, per, that percentile of exit velo. He went up. And he was also in the first percentile of hard hit percentage and the 90th percentile in X batting average. Uh, so he kind of reinforced what I had said about him, but his OPS went from 734 to 801 and his OPS plus went from 95 to 121. So David Fletcher, I liked what I saw from him this year. Uh, for number four on my list, this guy kind of has an asterisk next to his name because I didn't technically say that he was uh, my guy to watch, but I also strongly highlighted him uh, in my predictions for his team, and that is NL Cy Young finalist, Yu Darvish. Yu Darvish put up a monster year this year, uh, reinforcing everything we already knew about him. He had a 201 ERA, led the league in FIP with a 223, and had 11 strikeouts per nine. Uh, he only gave up three runs in the start once, and he didn't do anything more than that, which is very impressive. I believe that's true. I could be wrong on that. Hang on a second. Uh... Oh, okay, never mind. He gave up four earned runs once on September 20th. He only gave up more than three runs once. That is a stat. Um, yeah, he was very good pretty much every time he went out there. And, I mean, his savant page was very good. He was in the top percentiles and basically everything. So you Darvish is number four on my list. Uh, for number three, this guy had expectations because he just signed a big contract in free agency, but I was just very adamant about him that I felt like I needed to put him on here. That was Zach Wheeler. Uh, the Phillies obviously struggled down the stretch, but it was by no means Zach Wheeler's fault. He had a 2.92 ERA with a 3.22 fit, uh, only 0.4 home runs per nine, which led me in an era that is dominated by home runs. Uh, the one little concerning thing is that his strikeout numbers did go down. His strikeouts per nine went from nine to 6.7, but Regardless, Zach Wheeler proved that why he signed that contract for the Phillies, and he is going to be very good down the stretch for them in years to come, and when hopefully they're actually making playoff runs. At number two, uh, you knew that this guy was going to be on this list at some point. I will never shut up about him, and he was, of course, my guy to watch, and that is none other than Latham, New York native Ian Anderson. This guy absolutely tore up the show this year in his rookie season. He is only 22 years old, and he had a 1.95 ERA in the regular season. And then in the postseason, he went on to have an 0.96 ERA in 18 and two-thirds innings pitched. His strikeout numbers were off the charts with 11.4 strikeouts per nine. The one thing that he does need to work on going forward is his walks. That is a 3.9 walks per nine. 
But other than that, I am thrilled with what I saw with Ian Anderson this year uh, coming out of Shenandoah High School. Shout out to Upstate New York and shout out to the Atlanta Braves for taking in number three overall. That is number two. And my number one player to watch who outperformed expectations this year. This is a guy who was getting real Cy Young consideration heading into September. And that was Zach Gallen. I was very high on him when he was traded for Jazz Chisholm, the Diamondbacks' number one prospect. People were wondering why that happened. And I said, well, because Zach Gallen is a very good pitcher. And he proved that this year, a 2.75 ERA with 10.3 strikeouts per nine. Uh, the Diamondbacks didn't do very well, but that was not Gallen's fault. Uh, only a 3-2 and two record, by the way, for a 2.75 ERA. He's like the modern data Grom. But um, Zach Gallen was my number one guy to watch as far as guys that I picked who outperformed their expectations. And that is my list. Yeah. Good list. Good list. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Ian Anderson, you're probably the most, uh, most happy about. I have, I have some honorable mention. I also would like to say that there were some guys that I'm not including on the list that were pretty much already good. Mm -hmm. who did have good years this year. Like uh, Hyunjin Ryu was, you know, a finalist for Cy Young last year. I put, I still put him as a guy to watch because I think there's some, things that people didn't really know about him and like why uh why, he was so good. why yeah why is that good and why is success is kind of sustainable but i'm not in, including him in the list and also like i put luis castillo down because i liked the stats about his change up but i'm not i'm not really saying i was forecasting his success because his success was probably happening whether i said it was going to happen or not uh honorable mentions these are guys that did well, like their on-field performance was good, but they got, they got a little lucky. So first one I'll, I'll say is Zach Davies. Uh, I pointed out Zach Davies um, saying like his hard hit percentage was always pretty low. Um, and I liked his ability to get soft contact and he might be, he might be a piece of that San Diego Padres rotation. And he had a two, seven, three ERA this year, which is fantastic. Uh, his ERA plus improved by 32% from last year. Um, but I'm not including him in the list because his expected ERA was actually 501. He had a 273 real ERA, but a 501 expected ERA. Uh, that means like there were a lot of hard hit balls that normally would go down for hits that uh, his fielders were getting. And, you know, I don't really, I feel like, especially in a short season, I shouldn't really associate that as like a, as, as an, I called it. And then the second honorable mention is kind of a meme here. Uh, I mentioned him before the season, Dylan cease. Uh, <laughs> he, he had a 401 ERA this year and his ERA plus was also 32% better than it was last year. Uh, but his expected ERA was six, six, five, a 401 real ERA and a, 665 expected ERA. I and think, he's going to have a manager that's going to push that narrative even more. Yeah. So uh, I, I expected Dylan Cease to do better this year. He kind of did, but, but I don't also know. Not really. Not really. Like, <laughs> I think his expected ERA is like fifth percentile in the league. I can uh, check that. It was terrible. Um, he just got, he got pretty lucky. Uh, he got pretty lucky when there were guys on base and uh, I don't know. I don't know if his success it was in the fifth is... percentile. Yep. Yeah. 
I don't know if his success is very sustainable, but I did I did say he would improve. But he's also young. Yeah, he's young. He's young and he's got the stuff. That's why I picked him as a guy to look for. And I mean, his ERA, his ERA plus got thirty two percent better, but uh, not for the not for the reasons I thought he would get better. So on to my list. Uh, I have four guys that I mentioned that I wanted to point out. Uh, number four, I had Blake Snell. Uh, I really expected a bounce back year from him based on his baseball savant stats. And that's exactly what happened. His ERA went from 4.29 to 3.24 in 11 starts. His ERA plus was 27% better. Um, I really saw this was going to happen and it happened. You know, you could say it wasn't really the, uh, the most, the hottest of takes considering he's won a Cy Young, but I think, pretty much exactly what I expected to happen happened. Uh, he had like an ERA in the low threes, which is kind of what his baseball savant implied uh, he would have. Uh, number three, I will say Sixto Sanchez. I just kind of looked at his minor league stats before the season. Um, and I was like, you know, this guy could have success. I think he was a top 25 uh, prospect according to MLB.com. He was actually my rookie of the year pick. He was kind of like last minute. I just, threw him out there and he'll probably finish like top five in the rookie of the year voting. He, he he's going up against a pretty good class, but he had a three, four, six ERA, a three, five Oh FIP and actually a three Oh nine expected ERA. So he actually underperformed his expected statistics. So uh, I would expect a lot of success out of him for uh, years to come. And uh, I, I guess I should point out that, I talked about him a little bit before the season. And number two on my list is AJ Pollock. Uh, AJ Pollock, I pointed out. So number two is both people from our hometowns. That is true. Mm-hmm. You know, s- sort of, sort of for me, I guess. He's a, uh, AJ Pollock grew up probably about 25 minutes from where I live. Probably the same for you. Yeah. Um, in terms of Ian Anderson. But AJ Pollock I will say uh, before the season, I said that uh, he was trending in the right direction. I think after he had a significant injury and after that injury, he had an 885 OPS. Um, So I think the injury was bothering him. And this year he ended up having an 881 OPS in 55 games. His OPS plus uh, improved by 26% from last year to this year. Um, And he kind of went under the radar because if you, if you're not a superstar on the Dodgers, you kind of go under the radar. And uh, that's kind of what AJ Pollock did, but he did his job and uh, it went, went well for him. And my number one is uh, Kenta Maeda, Cy Young finalist. Yeah. There you, uh, go. you know, I didn't really have any specific numbers to say that like he was going to have a great season, but I was saying like, he's kind of going under the radar in terms of an impact on the twins rotation and I was saying, like, you know, if this guy can have a pretty good year, they'll probably win the division. They'll probably, if, if he can be a horse, they'll probably win that division. And that's exactly what he was. He had a 2.70 ERA. He had a 3.00 FIP. And uh, his ERA plus went up. His, his ERA plus was 59% better than it was uh, last year. So those were, those were some of my hits. Not... I would say I probably had more flops than, than hits, but uh, I guess I should recognize. But your hits were strong. My hits were 
pretty strong. Kenta Maeda was hey, you, you, good you had a good slugging. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's, you were hitting. You were hitting for extra bases there. I had a I had a Joey Gallo season. Yeah, yeah. I think I did too. <laughs> yeah, it 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 was uh it was all right. <laughs> Dylan Cease always will make me laugh. Yes, uh, he will. It's um, what a season. What a season. What also what also will make me laugh is the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, speaking because, of speaking of the White Sox. So one of my bold actually. Okay, we we're talking about how you know our predictions that we that we totally nailed at the start of the season. One prediction I had was that Rick Renteria was going to get fired at the end of the season, and I was I, right. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna edit that into this show. I was right. Yeah, if play that audio right here. Team I have in third might surprise you, and I have a take. Chicago White Sox at 32 and 28. That's fair. I, I don't. I love that lineup. Their pitching is still a few question marks to be answered. And I have a take, Chris. This year is it for Rick Renteria. He's out after 60 games this year. Ooh, that's nice. That's a quality take. The White Sox strike me as a team that would perform better under the the trendy new managers that are are younger and, you know, are more friendly around the team. Rick Renteria, I guess I don't know the guy personally, but he's he's more old school. And I think the White Sox would fare better in a different state. And this is the first time, really, since I've been a diehard baseball fan, that the White Sox have had any, any sort of expectation. Like, yeah, all I've known from the White Sox is, yeah, they're going to be basement dwellers. They're going to be like a 75-win team at best. Yeah. And you're not going to – they'll, they'll make a trade here and there. That'll be cool, but it won't really amount to anything. Like they'll, they'll trade for Todd Frazier. Whoop-de-doo. This is, this is the first time, and, you know, we've been on the White Sox future hype train for, like, four years. And this is the first time where it's really supposed to come to fruition. I think this year is going to be more of a learning experience. Rick Renteria is gone. They bring in a younger guy. And then 2021, I think, is the year where they really start. So that's right. I said at the beginning of the season this was going to be it for Rick Renteria. Um, they did make the playoffs, so they did perform, outperform my expectations. But Renteria was still holding the team back. Because, you know, I just felt like the White Sox were just like a young, fun team. And they needed to be coached by, you know, a younger guy, you know, that the game is trending towards with managers. Guys like Alex Cora, you know, AJ Hinch, Jace Tingler, um, Charlie Montoyo, all these younger guys that the players can relate to more. So in this changing time, what do the White Sox do? They do none other than hire a 76-year-old dinosaur ex-racist convicted drunk driver but hall of famer and tony larusa to be the manager of their franchise this is a miserable move by the team yeah there it is chris's bobblehead what year is that from chris uh this is a little action figure um a family friend of mine went to a cardinals game and this i think this was at a giveaway and i don't was know Albert what on the team uh i'm getting i mean like he, re- he had to have been, yeah, because he was Albert Pujols left. But yeah, yeah. Here's, here's your manager for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. Jesus, <laughs> this is such a terrible move for the White Sox. I really cannot believe they didn't even they didn't even interview AJ Hinch, who ended up getting hired by the Tigers. So I guess we could talk about that too. But what are we doing here? Like this is the exact opposite of what they should be doing. You know. This is a guy who literally spoke out against Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a 3-0 home run. That was a real thing that happened, Chris, this year. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty wild. Like, yeah, I don't so know. Pray how... for Tim Anderson, who is somewhere out there, who is going to have to deal with his own manager getting in his face when he bat flips on home runs. Because Tim Anderson is like pretty much the CEO of, of fun and having baseball, having fun playing baseball. And that's probably going to be taken away from him because of Tony La Russa. Yeah, I, I just don't know how it how this is going to gel. No. And what also what we have to consider is like this is a team that's probably going to compete or is supposed to based on this the should be a World Series contender next they, year. They should be contending in the playoffs for the next five years. They've locked mm-hmm. up everybody for multiple yeah. years. And you want a manager that can stick it out for all four or five of those years. And even if LaRusso was kind of right, the right move, like you don't really want a 76 year old guy. No. Heading the way for, uh, for like a five year, six year run where you're, you know, compete constantly competing for the AL central. If anyone is curious how long it's been since Tony LaRusso, a managed, and B, managed the White Sox. Um, it was 2011, the last time he managed. He was 66 years old, so that's going to be a 10-year hiatus. The last time he managed the White Sox, um, it was 1986. I mean, who could forget? Who could forget uh, the 1986 White Sox, of course? Uh, he was 41 when that happened, mind you. Yeah, it's, cra- like, it's crazy numbing. he hired a guy who literally retired nine years ago. Not not got fired not you know took a break he retired nobody nobody on the white Sox current roster was even born the last time tony la Russa managed the white Sox. yeah that's true uh yeah that's true and yeah la Russa retired uh nobody retired. in the league was probably even alive uh who nobody in the league was probably alive in 1986 currently no nah, that's a 34 year old 1986 yeah okay fair enough yeah that's <laughs> it's a 34 year old but still he it's still it's still a long time you're a you're a, a vet you have like your 10 and 5 rights yeah um, you have like maybe maybe dallas keiko would be old enough to have been alive then yeah exactly and yeah larusa retired the same year uh albert pujols got a 10-year deal with the angels that is up after next year. That is up after next year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Retired no. at a 67-year-old. Like, the um, age alone is ridiculous. And then you add in, like, the old school uh, managing. Yeah. That, and by the way, like, nobody in the White Sox front office actually wanted this. It was literally just Jerry Reinsdorf pushing it. Uh, yes. It makes no sense. Like, Rick Hahn has done such an amazing job to build this future for this team. And it's basically all being thrown away because of this hire. Like, this – you could argue this undoes everything that Rick Hahn has done. You look at, you know, trading Eloy, trading Jose Quintana to get Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. You look at trading Chris Sale to get Yoan Moncada and Michael Kopech. All these amazing moves that the White Sox have made, it's all gone now. Like, it cancels it out because Tony La Russa is not the right fit for this team at all. He's not the right fit for really any team in the league at this point. And I don't understand how people are actually bringing him in right now. Yeah, like you, you only if you're a White Sox fan, you almost hope that like the season doesn't go great, and then they fire him, and then then you can go on with your future manager. It's a nightmare. You situation. might just the best case scenario might be be a repeat of this year, 
Yeah. Or it's like you sneak, you, you back your way into the playoffs with a miserable run down the stretch, and then you lose in the first round because of poor bullpen management, and then you're gone. Yeah, I mean, like, the last time Tony La Russa managed, there was no such thing as an opener. There was no such thing as, like, not leaving your starter out for the third. There was no such thing as peripherals. Yeah, no such thing. Baseball savant wasn't around. No, uh, StatCast wasn't even close to being around. StatCast wouldn't be invented for another, like, four or five years. Yeah, and, like, I don't I don't think his, his baseball brain has – evolved as much as the rest of the league uh one little fun fact here um tony la russa managed uh mini minoso uh at towards the end of his white Sox tenure mini minoso was born in 1925 Garrett <laughs> crochet who he, who he is going to be managing next year he was born in 1999 <laughs> so he is going to manage players born in uh, possibly uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different decades, and he's probably going to manage someone in two thousand if he is there long enough. So he could possibly manage for ten different decades. Yeah, ten different. Yeah, ten eight, different nine, decades yeah. of players. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, the the fact that the front office just basically got told to kick rocks is pretty extraordinary. Like why even, why even have yeah. them around? Uh, this is a disgrace of a move by the White Sox. You know, people have been hyping up this team for a long time and rightfully so. And now you really have to put some question marks on if this team is going to compete next year because of this single move. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very disappointing. Very disappointing. It is. Um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the Detroit Tigers hired their manager of the future, I can confidently say that, in A.J. Hinch. Um, say whatever you want about his past, but he's going to be under a microscope this year, and he's entering a similar situation that he did in Houston. And this is a great move for a team that has some young talent that's not necessarily ready yet, but when they are ready, you know, they have a history of being able to make the moves when they're ready to compete and AJ Hinch is the perfect leader for when they are ready. Yeah. And you know, I, when, when suspensions were being handed out, I was thinking like, uh, I was thinking teams wouldn't really touch AJ Hinch, but I think that's changed. Like that definitely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think there's a better chance of that with Jeff Lou now. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he had some very bad PR moves. Yeah. Cause in, in both, um, articles, the Athletic and the Wall Street Journal one, it wasn't necessarily really pinned on A.J. Hinch, so there is that going for him. But Yeah, no, it was literally that Jeff Lunau created, it was was shown a PowerPoint document about the the method. Yeah, that was the that was the second report, or as I like to call, call it, the real report, mm-hmm. and then the first report was Alex Cora, which is yeah. Likely. Well, also, yeah, like when Jeff Lunau put out his statement after getting fired, he was like, it wasn't me. I had no idea what this was, and I'm not a cheater. Yeah. Uh, and if you listen to the interview that I did with Jeff Passan, you know, we literally talked about this, and he mentioned, you know, you're the, you're the president of baseball ops. You're, the, you're in charge of whatever happens in baseball ops, and this is what happened in baseball ops. Therefore, you are responsible whether you want to accept it or not. So 
yeah, Jeff Lunau is 100% responsible for the, the actions that took place. And A.J. Hinch, you know, obviously he knew about it and he did make a, a effort to stop it because he like, uh, he like smashed one of the cameras or whatever. Um, obviously it didn't stop it. And, you know, he has been very apo- as apologetic as possible. You know, he did an interview with Bob Costas, I believe it was. It was, one of, it was either him or Tom Verducci, um, you know, when he went on the record and owned up to everything. So he's obviously shown that he is willing to move on and seek out his next position, and it's going to be in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, and, you know, there is, there is a reason that, you know, he was able to have success in Houston besides uh, the, exterior, the uh, external activities mm-hmm. that should not have been going on. He's a, he's a good manager. It's a good move by the Tigers. It should have been the move that was made by the White Sox, probably. Yeah. Um, but, or even just even just something that's not Tony La Russa. Yeah. Really anybody, like one of these Will Venable, Don Kelly. Any, exactly. Any, like, utility outfielder that played, like, 50 games a year yeah. in the tw- early 2010s. I would take that any day over Tony La Russa. Yeah. Uh, just, Yeah. I mean, the, the younger guys have worked for the most part. Alex Cora, Kevin Cash, even Dave Roberts is a Aaron Boone, guy. David Ross. Yeah. Rocco Baldelli. Yeah. Yeah, it's worked out. It's worked out for the most part. Yeah. Um, Charlie Montoyo. Yeah, and uh, Alex Cora is probably going to uh, be hired by the Red Sox, especially yeah. now. Yeah, I, I, cannot, I mean, I cannot see a scenario where they do anything else. Like, they've been – They've been hi- they've been interviewing other people, but I think that's just a PR move to be like, well, we did try, we did look to other people. I mean, the Tigers are sh- shamelessly saying we hired this guy who we know cheated. Uh, the Red Sox are gonna take a more indirect route to hiring Cora, uh, and I'm okay with that, honestly. I mean, yeah. it's it's the players have been open about wanting him back. The fans have been open about wanting him back. The front office has said that they have been in contact with him. So, I mean. All signs are pointing to the fact that Alex Cora is going to be back in Boston next year. Yeah, for sure. And like how I like what I believe personally, and it might not be the truth, is that that Wall Street Journal article was the more accurate thing. The, the MLB report was just the Astros uh, scapegoating a guy who is no longer with the organization. It's probably the more accurate story is probably the Wall Street Journal one where it was introduced to the general manager before the 2017 season. And that's that's probably what happened before Alex Cora ever got hired by the Astros. And he was just kind of another cog in the operation, which I'm kind of fine with bringing him back, especially, you know, did not, I was not convicted of anything with the Red Sox. I mean, if AJ AJ Hinch is back, there's no reason Cora shouldn't have a job again. Yeah. And you know, as a Red Sox fan, I will be looking forward to having back when that, when the day of hire happens. That's right. Um, Do we have anything else? No, that was, this was a very good, you know, we, we kind of, we, we broke down a lot. We broke down a lot. We'll be uh, next show. We will be doing free agency discussions. Maybe we'll do free agency predictions. Uh, we'll set some terrible over-unders like we did last year. And uh, we will do I don't even predictions. I don't even know if I want to do. Over. I don't think I want to either. That was miserable last year. How bad? I, I think I put down Garrett Cole. But actually, that is a lot. It is a big question last next year because, yeah, you know, we might not see a lot of big contracts handed out because of the financial losses suffered this year because of the pandemic. 
Yeah. But like last year, I was like, is Garrett Cole going to make over or under 225 million? <laughs> and he almost got 325. He almost got 325. It, it was ridiculous. I think I put Rendon at like 205 million, soared past that. I remember you put Wheeler at 90 million, and, and I was like confident on the over, and you were like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It ended up working out for them. It did. But yeah, everything was over. Everything was over. Luckily for the players, but who knows this year? Yeah, exactly. They teams did not get as much revenue. So yeah, I don't know. It, it might be, I mean, we'll discuss it next episode, but it might be a thing where like maybe the teams that usually are out there will be out there, but there will be less teams and not less value on the contracts, but we'll probably get into that next year. But I think it's time. It's time for the first time since Woo! mid-july history is back it's so uh, not, the, not the next episode but the episode after that uh it will be coming out either wednesday november 11th or uh thursday november 12th i don't really know um mm-hmm. but it's uh it's coming back i gotta find i gotta find it i gotta find the list stp now i got mine pulled up lot lottery here we go <laughs> Uh, I don't All know right. who went first last time. I'll just go first. We'll go player than team like we usually yeah. do for the episodes. Okay, so we got a list of 15 here. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I guess we should also uh, give reference. So when when uh, the season, when they announced the season was not going to be happening for a while this year, obviously it was a 60-game season, we decided we would create a list of 30 players and 30 teams. I chose uh, 30 players. Daniel chose 30 teams, uh, one for each franchise. And we were going to do like an hour history breakdown of them, kind of a story of each player and team. And it's been very fun. It was very fun uh, from about early April to uh, mid-July. We've already done 15 of these episodes. And we've got 15 more in store. We have this list. Um, We put it in a, in a computer randomizer. We randomize all the guys. Um, after, after every five weeks, we uh, create, we randomize the list again. We cut out the guys we've already done and we randomize it again. So now it, now we, each of us will be picking a number one through 15 to determine the player and team we will be talking about next week. Daniel, which player are we going to be talking about in our first episode of the second half of the STBNL history series. We will be talking about player number four. Player number four. This is exciting. This is a good one to start on. Oh yeah. I will say. Uh, we're talking about a guy. We, you know, we kind of alluded to them this episode. He was a member of the. Uh, he was actually a member of a team that we talked about, the '95 Braves. Ah. We are talking about the professor, Greg Maddox. Yes, we're starting out with another pitcher. Yes. I like it. On the list. I love it. Greg Maddox. Yes. Yeah, the Greg master Maddox. of of uh, just deception. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about his 95 season again. 94 mm-hmm. and 95 were mm-hmm. unbelievable. And it's a shame that those se- seasons got shortened because yeah. you could have had even better numbers. But yeah. Right. And and the uh, now it's time to pick our team. That's right. Uh, the team we will be talking about next week 
is going to be team number 12. Team number 12. We alluded to this team earlier in the show on multiple <laughs> occasions. I, they're known for, you know, a lot of things, but I'm excited to talk about the atmosphere around the city when this team was at its peak. They broke a 108-year curse to win the World Series, and it is the 2016 Chicago Cubs. There we go. Mm -hmm. The 2016 Cubs, you know, it was four years ago, so. It was. This is the most recent team we've had. It is. It is. But it's not exactly. These are both great ones to start out on. Yeah. Yeah, 2016 Cubs are a great story. It's a 108-year story, pretty much. And, uh, this yeah, is one Greg, where we can provide personal experience as uh, for our analysis. Yeah. Like we, we can be like, I remember this game. I remember this time, you know? Yeah, we got StatCast also. We have StatCast. We have Baseball Savant. Yep. And, yeah, Greg right. Maddox, he's one of my favorite players ever. A former Cub. A form, Yeah, a former Cub. Um, a former uh, Brave and a former Dodger as well. And a mm -hmm. former Padre. <laughs> Not really known for his Padres and Dodgers year years, but yeah. um <laughs> shout out to the two thousand eight Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> the two thousand eight Dodgers. But yeah. Um yeah, that that is our history episode for not this Wednesday and Thursday slash Friday, but the next one. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're gonna be researching on for the next week. So we hope you enjoyed our Basically, 2020 recap. Yep. Um, where we kind of broke we broke down the game six of the World Series. We kind of broke down what this weird season looked like. Uh, our first full year as a show. Um, and kind of what it looked like an odd odd year to basically start on as a full year. And uh, yeah, we hope to see you next week. Uh, next Monday where we're doing free agency stuff and we're doing a whole awards picks slash predictions. Uh, see you next Monday.